Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Emmanuel Church, how are you feeling today? God bless you. It is good to be here. If this is your very first time, we want to say welcome to you, whether you're joining us here at Greenwood or our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, our Seymour campus, if you're watching on our online campus for the very first time or at one of our microsites, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up for all of our first-time guests today? Thank you for checking us out today. Hey, really quick, before I jump into the message series today, um, I do want to spend a few moments in prayer for, for the situation going on in Ukraine. Um, obviously, it's devastating. It's shocking. Uh, what, what we're seeing on television every single day, all day, is heartbreaking, uh, what the Russians are doing to, to Ukraine. And uh, I've been just praying and asking God for mercy in that situation. I was with another pastor friend of mine from New York City yesterday. He has uh, a friend who pastors, pastors in the Ukraine. He's actually flew there into Ukraine to support them. And so there are Christ followers. There are churches there. There are people there having their lives destroyed, as all of you know. And so I just want to spend a few moments in prayer for, for the folks there, for their safety, and for God to just show mercy in that situation. Will you join me really quick, all of our campuses? Heavenly Father, our hearts are very, very heavy today as we watch events unfold destruction and, and, and brokenness and, and death and thousands and thousands of people being displaced from their homes and being having their families torn apart. It breaks our hearts to watch wives leave husbands and fathers leave children. And so God, I pray for a fast resolution to this situation. God, I know that your word tells us that the, the heart of every leader of every nation is in your hand, and you can direct their hearts. So I pray specifically that you would direct President Putin's heart away from this disaster, away from this cruelty, away from this aggression, and that you would bring a quick res resolution. And over the next moments, over the next hour, even as we're here today, God, would you protect young children, protect women, protect the people of Ukraine. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you for that. So we are starting a brand new series today called Conversations. I feel like I'm always having a conversation. Anybody else? I probably talk too much. Anybody share that, that issue? Uh, I have a lot of fun conversations. I talk about a lot of really fun things like sports and God and faith. And, and uh, I really enjoy having great conversations with all different types of people. And then I have a lot of maintenance conversations. Anybody know what I mean by a maintenance conversation? This is the most of the conversations you have with your spouse if you're married. 
It's like, where are we going? What are we doing? What are we eating? What needs to be fixed? What bills need to be paid? Anybody know about maintenance conversations? Okay, I have a lot of those. And, and, and there are all kinds of different conversations. Those are some main ones. Then there are some uncomfortable conversations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you talk about issues that are charged with emotion, when you talk about certain things that can cause offense or that can bring about hurt feelings or even separate friends when a friend learns that you disagree with them on a specific issue, uncomfortable conversations. I'm not great at uncomfortable conversations, but I do have them. But a lot of times I want to avoid them. Many times I do. I'm like, I ain't talking about that with her, with him. Uh -uh, Don't bring that up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And a lot of times in church that happens. You know, in church there's, there's topics and issues that are going on in our world today. And pastors talk about it amongst themselves. We don't talk about that in our church. And I know why. Because once you bring up that topic, that issue, you know, you're going to split the church right down the middle. 50% believes this. The other 50 believes this. And now they're, you know, quarreling. And I don't like the pastor. And uh, it could get crazy. And so there's a lot of conversations that, that pastors and churches just avoid completely because they want to keep the peace and not offend anyone. But do you know that when pastors or parents or dads or moms or whoever, when they avoid the, the uncomfortable conversation, do you know there's unintended consequences? There really are. And those consequences can be, can be quite severe. Confusion, misinformation, people can be misinformed. When people don't know what the truth is, they can go down a path they should never have gone down because no one talked to them about it. Anybody have a parent like that? <laughs> just never talk to you about sex ever? <laughs> they just let you, let you figure it out by yourself. <laughs> and then your friends told you about it. You're like, That's a great sex education, right? Wow. It's just, why? Because we don't like to talk, but there are un- unintended consequences for that. And as your pastor, I just love you too much to let that happen. I feel called to shepherd you, to lead you into what God has to say about some difficult, difficult issues. And so over the next couple weeks, what I wanna do, because I love you, and I don't want you to be confused, and I don't want you to be uninformed, and I don't want people going down the wrong path and ruining their lives, I'm gonna talk about some difficult things. Can we do that? Are we family? Can we, can we have that? And so that's really what, what, what I wanna do in this series, because I love you and I care about you. There's a verse in Judges chapter 21. It's a very interesting passage. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king. And because they had no king, no spiritual leader, no political leader, that was what, that was, what was going on with, with Israel's kings. They were, they were spiritual and political leaders. Because there was no clear leader, spiritual leader, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that describe our culture today? Yes or no? United States of America and around the world. I think, it, I think it does. We live in a culture today where everyone decides what is right in their own eyes. What does that mean? They use their own rationale, their own thoughts, their own you know, reasoning skills, their own affections, their own emotions, their own feelings to decide what is right for them. The way we say it in our culture today is you live out your truth. You do you is what people say, right? Yeah, as if there were seven and a half billion different truths out there. Can you imagine a world with seven and a half billion different 
truths. You live out your truth, right? What does that even mean? It's such a contradiction. Where does this come from, this everyone does what's right in their own eyes? You know, it comes from the Garden of Eden. Did you know that? It comes from the first book of Genesis. Adam and Eve are doing great. They're living with God. They're fellowship with God. And then all of a sudden, this, the devil slithers in on his belly and starts to... God tells Adam and Eve, look, you got all this, all this tree, all this fruit, all this tree, all this stuff. You can eat from anything. But just don't eat from that one tree over there because if you eat from it, you're going to die. And so, of course, human beings, they don't focus on all the things that they have. They focus on the one thing they don't have. Are you like that? I am. I am. I get all this wonderful stuff, but I don't have one of those. <laughs> right? And so the devil comes in and says, hey, you know, God didn't, you know, he didn't really, he, you're not going to die. He lies to him. And he kind of tells him a truth, too. He just knows if you eat it, then you'll become like him. And so Eve's like, hmm, let me take a second look at this fruit. So she looks at it. She likes it. She eats it. Then she gives some to her knuckle-headed husband who was standing right there. Men, he didn't stand up. He didn't take the role of a man. He didn't lead. He didn't call a timeout. Whoa! Men have been doing that ever since. And so he eats it, and the rest is history as we know. Humanity is plunged into sin. Everyone deciding to be their own God. I'm going to do what I want to do. This is why, by the way, if you have kids, this is why they act the way they do. Right? If you've ever wondered, I want to do it my way. This is where it comes from. They're not more sinful than you. You were a kid too once. In fact, as an adult, you still do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it what I want to do. Do you ever wonder what actually happened in the Garden of Eden? Like, what was going on there? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 tells us, the woman was convinced, what was she convinced of? That the devil was right. That this fruit was worth eating. It was worth taking a risk. That she should focus on the thing that was created, the fruit, rather than the creator, God. That's what was going on there. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked, say it with me, delicious. You ever look at something and go, that looks delicious. You want to eat it? You want to take it? You want to consume it? And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. You know what happened in the Garden of Eden? Our first ancestors decided to take matters into their own, ran, own hands and do what seemed right in their own eyes. They chose the created thing over the creator. See, we were designed, did you know human beings were designed to find everything they need in a relationship with God? And the devil comes in and says, oh no, he's holding out on you, there's something better. Look at this car, look at money, look at success, look at power, look at influence, look at pleasure. Go after that. And, 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 and we bite, we bite. And we choose the created thing over the creator. This cannot be God's will for humanity. Seven and a half little gods running around, seven and a half billion little gods running around the planet doing whatever we think is right in our own rise. Do, do you think that that could possibly be God's will? Anybody? No. Two people get together. They like each other. Should we have sex? Oh, what do you think? Feels good to me. Let's do it. 
Forget about marriage. Let's just sleep together. I have an idea. Let's move in together. Here's an idea. People just doing what they think is right in their own eyes. Well, you know, there's pornographies out there, and it's, it's pleasurable, and it's, I'm attracted to it, and it, it turns me on. Should I watch it? Whatever you think. It's legal. Just tune in. Get on a, you know, get on a website and watch all the pornography you want. People doing what seems right in their own eyes. People feel attracted to the same sex. What do you think I should do? I don't know. Practice. Do what seems right in your own eyes. We have people today that, that are men that feel like women. We have people today, women, that feel like they're supposed to be men. What should I do? Whatever you think is right in your own eyes. It's people just deciding on their own, using their own faculties, their own affections, their own desires, their own wants, likes, and dislikes, and deciding what to do with their life. Let me ask you a question today. Who gets to decide? Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? Do you? Do I? Listen, I've, I've lived for 44 years now, and, and, uh, and it, it, here's what I've learned about myself. I, 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 am a, I am on the struggle bus. Anybody else self-aware enough to know? I struggle through life. I do. Good days, bad days. A lot of times incredibly selfish. A lot of times insecure sometimes jealous, sometimes duplicitous. Oh, I hate that about myself. I hate that sometimes I try to appear a certain way that's really not true on the inside. But because of my insecurities, I act duplicitous. Are you, do you know that about you? And then when it comes to major issues, I'm supposed to trust Danny Anderson to decide? about my sexuality and marriage and this and that. I'm supposed to look, here's what the world tells: look inside and live your own truth. Really? Is that a good person to trust? You? Should you trust you to make decisions? How many people out there would say, yes, I'm wise and I'm smart. The Bible actually tells us to do the exact opposite. Proverbs chapter 28. Those who trust in themselves are dumb. That's what that word means. That's what it means. They're foolish. Those are like, you know, I'm a double. I'm gonna live my truth. I'm gonna look internally and figure out my sexuality on my own. Our culture today is telling little five-year-olds to figure out their sexuality. We've lost our minds. Look internally what feels right to you. You use your affections, your appetites, your desires. Do what Eve did. Look inside and then make a choice. Bible says those who do that are fools, but on the backside, those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. Well, if you know anything about the Bible and what it says about wisdom, it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. What is the fear of the Lord? It's not being afraid of God. The fear of the Lord is acknowledging he's in charge and you care about his opinion and you want to know what he thinks about life. That's the fear of the Lord. And so if you're asking me how I go through this life, and you're not, <laughs> you're not, but if you did, I'd tell you, I don't trust me. I like, I look to the author. In fact, that's what I'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to tell you, who should we look to for right or wrong? We need to look to the author, the author, the creator, who has not left us without a guidebook, 
This is my personal Bible. I read it every day. It's falling apart. It literally is falling apart. I never even bring it to church. For some reason, I stuck it in my bag. And, and, and I read it every day. You want to know why I read it every day? Because I can't trust myself to lead my life. I'm not the creator. I didn't say let there be light and there was light. I didn't make a man and a woman. I didn't make up the idea of marriage. I didn't do it. So why would I try to decide on my own? Those who trust in themselves are fools. So I'm like, God, what do you say? What do you, how do I do this life? How do I parent? How do I do marriage? How do I do how, how, how? Show me, show me, show me. Did you know that the Bible tells us that the Bible is the authority? Did you know that this book says that about itself? Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All of scripture, Genesis all the way to Revelation, is God breathed. He spoke and man wrote. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. In other words, it shows us what's right, what not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. About 20 years ago, I decided that's the truth. This book is my guide because he is the creator and he's the author. And on all issues of life that are controversial, I'm going to look to what God's word says. And so that's what we're going to do in this series. Now, you may disagree with it, and, and, and I'm not even going to pretend like I'm going to convince some people to change their opinion on some of these things, and, and, and that's just not going to happen because some of us are, are solidified in our positions, and, and I understand that, but, but I would just ask you to maybe, maybe, just maybe, say, maybe, we, maybe I ought to look to the Scripture as the ultimate authority. Maybe I ought to look to God as the ultimate authority. Who gets to decide what is right and wrong on some of the issues going on in our culture, t- culture today. Fair? Fair enough? That was a really, really long introduction. <laughs> so now that we've talked about that, talked that through and how we got to where we are today, let me, let me tell you what the first conversation is. We're going to start with a doozy, okay? Might as well just rip the Band-Aid right off. You know what I'm saying? Let's just get into it. We're going to talk about conversation number one, same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Everybody excited? Yeah. I've been waiting to give this talk all year. Right, right. Same-sex attraction and homosexuality. I separated them because same-sex attraction is the feeling. It's the affection. It's the appetite. The homosexuality is the putting it into practice so that the two are not the same. Our country has experienced a major shift, major shift in its thinking on homosexuality and same-sex attraction over the last few years, recent years. In fact, a Pew Research poll said that 72% of Americans today say that homosexuality, and that includes same-sex attraction, should be accepted compared to 49% in 2007. Why the major shift? Well, back in 2015, our government said that, that gay marriage is acceptable and they accept it as, as legitimate. And so that began, the, you know, President Obama flip-flopped his position, and, you know, of course, that empowered people and gave people freedom to start to put it on television more, and not that it wasn't, but more on commercials, and it just became, now it's hip and cool. Like, when I was in high school, like, if, if you, someone found out you were gay, man, it was, it, you got ridiculed, and it was not popular, and it was not cool. Today, it is celebrated, and it has become very cool to do that. There's been a major shift here. And the reason why this is such a tough topic to talk about is a couple of reasons. Number one is if you're still part of that, I don't know, 28% that say, well, I don't know, I think, I think it's actually 
a behavior that, 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 that could be wrong, if you're part of that group, now the culture has swung so far as to say, you are a bigot and a hater and you're homophobic. And it's like, so now it's like, if you have that opinion, mum's the word, right? You don't bring it up at Thanksgiving. You don't talk to your friends about it because the last thing on earth you want to feel is, is like a hater because that's awful. Well, in fact, the Bible says that we're called to love and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So it's like the, the exact opposite of, of what we want people to think of us. And the other reason why this is so, so difficult to talk about is because in the homosexual community and those who struggle with same-sex attraction, when you talk about it as something that you disagree with, because they have accepted their sexuality as the core of their identity, you're not disagreeing with their behavior, you're rejecting their personhood. That's a very important statement I just made. And who wants to reject a person a human being, a living soul. Who wants to make a person feel unwelcome, rejected, not part of the group? No one. So again, we just, we'd rather just keep quiet about it because we don't want to reject people. It's very difficult to talk about these issues. So, but we, ha we have to, we have to. So what does the Bible actually say? I mean, that's what it comes down to. If we're going to look to the author, if we're not going to look to ourselves because we keep, to trust in yourself is, is foolish, but to walk in wisdom is safety, what does the Bible actually say? Well, I'm, I'm so thankful that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to be in the fog on this. It's not unclear. In fact, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 14 letters in the New Testament, addressed it in 1 Corinthians. He addressed it in 1 Timothy. It's a, uh, I believe Jesus addressed it several times. We're going to talk about some of the things that, that Paul said. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says, don't you realize that those who do wrong, so he's about to give a list of behaviors that are wrong. Now, who gets to decide who's what's right and wrong? God does, not humans, right? Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, what does that mean? That means that they will not be accepted into the fellowship of, of the Holy Spirit, on this earth or in the next. So that's pretty serious stuff right there. He says, don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin, okay, so that's any type of sexual activity outside the context of marriage, including pornography, or worship of idols. And now when we think of idols, we think of little like wooden statues that, that people carve. Now they did that back then, but our idols are more like people and money and stuff and pleasure and, 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 and fame and all that stuff. So anything that you value above God or commit adultery. We all know what adultery is. When a, when a man cheats on his wife or a woman cheats on her husband or male prostitution or the practice of homosexuality. And it's right there. Or thievery or greed or being a drunkard or abusive or cheating people. Paul says none of these behaviors, if lived out in a lifestyle, will, will, will allow a person to step into the kingdom of God. Now, first thing I want to point out here is that homosexuality is one among many sins. It is not the special sin that sends a person to hell. It is not the really bad sin. It's one among thievery and drunkenness and all these other greed, adultery, 
In fact, Jesus said one time, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. Whoa. So it's one among many, but it is on the list. Where does Paul get this idea that homosexuality is wrong behavior, that it is, in fact, sinful? Well, he gets it from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. This is where Paul gets his sexual ethic that he teaches in the New Testament. Listen to what Leviticus says. Do not practice homosexuality. And then he specifies what it is. Having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. It could not be any more clear. Do you agree? Could not be any more clear. Now, some people, when they see this passage in Leviticus, they say, oh, well, you can't use that passage to, to, to prove that homosexuality is a sin. Paul did. Paul did. Why can't, why can't I? Well, the reason why you can't, the reason why maybe Paul shouldn't, is because the Leviticus, there's a lot of laws in, the, in Leviticus that we don't use today. Like don't eat shrimp and don't eat pigs and all this other. And we do all of those, Right? So why are you picking and choosing which you know, laws we should continue to obey when you've let go of all these other laws? Well, here's the confusion. Let me clear it up for you. When it comes to Jewish law, Jewish Old Testament law, there are three types. There's first ceremonial law, and these are the laws revolving around all of the different types of ceremonies that were specific to the Jewish people, all their festivals and all those different things. Those are not applicable to all of us today. That was for the Jewish people. Then there was the civil law for the Jewish people. These are the laws that govern their community and govern their behavior. We have civil laws today in our community, and some of them are, in fact, the same as the, Jews, uh, the Jewish civil laws, but not all of them by far. And then there's this third type of law in, Ju in Judaism called the moral law. The moral law is very different Although you could have a, a law that was in the moral law that's also in the civil law. I'll speak to that in just a second. But the moral law are any laws that are true for all people, at all times, at all places. Let me give you an example. In the Ten Commandments, it says, you shall not murder. No one would say today, oh, come on. That's a bad law for today. It was in Leviticus. So that's an example of a moral law. Yes, it was in Leviticus. It's even one of the Ten Commandments. But it's part of the moral law. And what is the moral law? The moral law is true for all humans at all times, at all places. Now, all of the sexual laws in Leviticus fall into the category of the moral law. So we can use Leviticus for today as Paul used it in his day. Making sense? Yes or no? Now, I know when, when, when people hear this, especially those who struggle with same-sex attraction, they're like, well, okay, well, if it's wrong and if it's sinful, then why do I still have these desires? Like, I don't, like it feels so natural. Like, I didn't do anything for, to get these desires. I was kind of, I felt it when I was seven years old or whatever and 14. Why do I have these desires if God says that they are wrong? What a great question. Romans chapter 1 tells us exactly why this is so. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter one. When he says they, he means all of humanity. Me, you, people before, people after. P 
people, here's what we did. Here's what Eve did. Remember in the Garden of Eden? Eve traded the truth about God for a lie. What was the truth about God? That he was sufficient, that we could trust him, that if we just obey him and just eat the fruit that he says to eat and leave the one fruit alone, that, that we would be happy and we'd have everything we need. That was the truth about God. But instead, we believed the lie. And what was the lie? That the created thing was better than obeying God. You with me? That's what everyone has done. That's what Eve has done. And because of that, they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. Now watch what the consequences of that decision are. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. We have shameful desires. I personally do not struggle with same-sex attraction, but I have some other desires that are extremely shameful, so much so that I'm unwilling to say them in this moment because I'm too ashamed. Where did they come from? The Garden of Eden. The curse of Eden has affected all of us. Say, where do these desires come from? They come from exchanging the truth about God for a lie. And then he says, even the women turned against natural way, the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Lesbianism. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, they burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. So what do we just learn? This is so important, and, and, and this is for middle school students. Please, middle, your middle school student, high school student, the culture's not going to tell you this. You have to understand where this stuff comes from. Here's what Paul is teaching. Same-sex attraction is the result of choosing the created thing rather than the creator. That's where it comes from. And even though it feels natural, it is unnatural. And that is why we can't trust our feelings. Everybody in the culture is say, trust your feelings. Trust, what do you feel? What do you feel? In fact, I looked up online. You can do this too. Like there's a, there's a little test to figure out if you are same-sex uh, attracted. And, and, uh, and I took it. I took the test. And you know, there were 27 questions, and you know, most of the, and it was also had to do with transgenderism, and, and, uh, and we'll talk about that next week. You excited about that? <laughs> Be a fun one. Uh, you know, most of the questions had to, wh- wh- what do you feel? What do you feel? Do you feel this way? Do you feel that way? Do you feel this way? Do you feel that way? When you're in this situation, how do you feel? Our culture today is telling us, trust your feelings to make these decisions. What if our feelings are warped? What if they're twisted? What if they're wrong? Even when they feel right. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh my gosh, that's so cruel of God to do it that way. That, that we, okay, we messed up in the garden, so he abandons us to these shameful desires, and now we feel things, and we shouldn't act on them, and if we do, it's sinful. And, 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 and why would he do that to gay people? It's almost like he made them gay. People say, are there people born gay? I say, yes, they're born gay. Why? Because they're born sinners. And, and homosexuality is one among many, sin, many sins. Are you born a liar? Yes. Yes, we lie naturally. We're born sinners, right? But it's not just the homosexual situation. Listen to what Paul says in the rest of the passage. He said, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, all of humanity... 
He abandoned them to do their, to, to their foolish thinking and to let them do things that should never be done. And you, now you might be thinking he's going to go back to the homosexual thing again. He doesn't. Listen. Their lives became full of all kinds of wickedness, sin, greed. Anybody ever struggle with greed? You're in the same boat as those who have same-sex attraction. Hate. Anybody ever hate anybody on the road at a roundabout? You're in the same boat. Envy, it's all we do is look at Facebook and Instagram and we envy, we envy other people's lives as we look at their highlight reels. Murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, oh my gosh, so many people gossip. It's like people make a sport out of talking about others. In the same boat. They're backbiters, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They even invent new ways of sinning. And then just to make sure he doesn't leave anybody out, he talks to the middle school students and the high school students. <laughs> they disobey their parents. We're all in the same boat. This is an all skate. You feeling Paul here? Homosexuality is not the sin. It's one among many. And all of us need God's grace. Amen. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, it depends. Are you in a situation where you don't struggle with same-sex attraction and you just, it's not an issue for you, but you have a brother, a son, a mother, a coworker, a cousin, and, and you don't even know how to, what to say, what to do? Well, you have a couple of options. You have a couple of options. You can totally ignore it <laughs> and never talk about it. I don't think the Bible gives you that option. I don't. I don't. I personally don't think so. I think that you have another option, which is to change your beliefs. 72% of Americans have chosen to do that. You know what? This is a difficult issue. I'm just going to say it's okay. You like boys, that's fine. For the sake of peace in our home, for the sake of peace, it, it must be okay. A lot of people do it. That's not biblical. So what's the other option? Well, I believe the other option is very simple. Keep loving them and hold your position. Treat them as a human being. Hello. How do you treat somebody who gossips all the time? <laughs> or overeats? Or is proud? You know any proud people? They're in your family. They're, every, they're everywhere. How do you treat them? You treat them like a person. Guess what you do with somebody who's got same-sex attraction? Or you treat them like they're human beings. Their sexuality is not their identity. That's a lie. And that's why we just love them where they're at, just like you love everybody else. They're not a special case. They're not a project. They're people. There's a gentleman that comes to church here. He's been coming, gosh, for six years. He's, this, he's in a homosexual relationship. Years ago, we met at Starbucks, and we talked it all through, and I shared my thoughts with him. And, and we just had a, we had a great conversation. We looked at the scriptures together and I listened to his story. And I told him, I said, you know, if you never, ever come to see things the way I see them from this book, I want you to know something. I will always love you. And I will always have your back. And Emmanuel Church is a place for you. You know, he started to cry. A lot. 
And he told me this is the first church that has ever said anything close like that to me. I apologize. But you're a human being. You are not your sexuality. You're a man made in God's image, and I love you. And if you're struggling today with same-sex marriage, and you're here, and you don't agree with everything I said, I want you to know something. I want you to know something. If you never change, I will love you as your pastor, and I will treat you with dignity and respect, and Emmanuel Church is a place for you. Amen? It's a place for you. Rick Warren made a great statement, and it's worth quoting. He said, our culture has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. Not true. The second is that if you love to love someone, means that you agree with everything they believe or do. Not true. Both are nonsense. You don't have to compromise your convictions to show compassion. Make sense? So that's if you have a loved one that's struggling and it's not you and be human, be human, love. What if you do have same-sex attraction? What if you're in a homosexual relationship right now? What do you do? Well, you could walk out, disagree, say he's wrong. You can do that. Another option is to just take the Bible, and many people have done this today, and, and look at all these passages, whether it's 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Timothy 1 or Leviticus 18 or Romans chapter 1, and you can take a scissors and start hacking at the Bible. Well, that word doesn't really mean that, and Paul really wasn't talking about that, and all you have to do is get on YouTube and you'll see it. It is a mass, books have been written about this. Well, Paul, well, 1 Corinthians 6 really isn't talking about homosexuality. It's talking about older men having sex with younger boys. This practice, this ancient practice in Greece called pedastry. That's where we get our word pedophilia. That's what Paul was condemning. Not homosexuality, not, not, not same-sex attraction between two adults who, who are, you know, mature. No, no, no. He was talking about the type of sexuality between a man and a boy where there's abuse of power. And, and, and it's just not true. It's just not true because in Romans chapter one, Paul says that it's both for men and for women, not just men. So you can go that route and cut the Bible up to make it say something that it doesn't say so that you can feel like, okay, I can have a relationship with God and still practice homosexuality, but I would, I would strongly urge you not to do that. The Bible is very, very clear. I think the really, the best option if, if you struggle with same-sex attraction or, or, or you're in a homosexual relationship, is to turn to Jesus. It's to turn to Jesus. You are made by God and for God. Sexuality will never satisfy your heart. Only Jesus will. You will never find the wholeness and the healing in your mind and your body in any other place besides Jesus. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. The Bible calls you to turn to a person. His name is Jesus. A lot of people think, oh, Pastor Danny, you know, are you telling me that I need to turn to heterosexuality? Surprisingly, no. I'm not. Jesus is not. 
Jesus is calling you to himself, not heterosexuality. In fact, I know many people today who struggle with same-sex attraction. They are not attracted to the opposite sex, but they know it's wrong, and so they go to Jesus, and they're celibate. Some of you may know who Jackie Hill Perry is. She wrote a book called Gay Girl, Good God. From a very, very young age, she recognized that she was attracted to other girls. Put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. But in high school, she decided to experiment, so she practiced homosexuality, got in a relationship with another woman, and was living her life until God invaded her life and spoke into her life and said, this sin is gonna be the death of you. And she turned her life around, and she gave her life to Christ. And I want you to hear from her today, because she can say it in a way that I can't say it. I've never had this struggle, but she did, and she stepped out of this lifestyle into a totally different lifestyle. Let's hear from Jackie Hill. Um, until I was 19, it got to a point where God's grace and conviction and truth got louder, um, no matter how much I wanted to drown it out. And I was in my room doing something mad, irrelevant and unspiritual and normal, such as watching MTV, something like that. I wasn't watching, you know, uh, Beth Moore tapes. I didn't even know who she was. And I felt God speak to my heart in such a way where I saw that all of my sin would be the death of me. And it wasn't just my sexuality, because that was the narrative communicated to me by Christians that this is the primary sin that will send you to hell. This is the one thing that God looks at and is displeased with. But what I saw was, no, my heart has been the problem the entire time. My primary idol is not my sexuality. My primary idol is me, is that I assume that my way and my feelings and my affections and my thoughts are wiser than the word of God. And so what I needed to repent of was not just being a lesbian. I needed to be repent of, of being an unbeliever, of being a person who refused to believe that God was true and right in all that he's ever said and done. And um, I sat there in my bed and I told God, God, I don't... I don't want to be straight, though, <laughs> because I think naturally you think to come to Jesus is to come to heterosexuality. But I really sense that God was saying, no, come to me. I am the aim of your repentance. I am the goal of your salvation. It's not you coming to some moral standard. It's you coming to a person. And so I didn't I felt like I didn't have a choice but to believe. And that's the Holy Spirit, because. 2 Corinthians 4 talks about how the, 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 the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers where they cannot see the light that is in the face of Jesus Christ. But uh, God who said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give us the light, to see the glory of Jesus. And it had to be nothing but the Spirit of God to help me see that Jesus was more worthy than everything that I was submitting my life to. And so my repentance was not an escapism or a fear or me uh, submitting myself to the norms of the culture. It was me saying that God actually was the best alternative to everything that I've been living my life for. The, the, it, was, it was futile and silly to think that anything could make me more whole than the God who created me for himself. And so by the power of the spirit, I believed. Um, and in believing, my temptations did not go away. I just had a greater affection competing with those temptations that I submitted my life to and had the power to do so. Wow, powerful, powerful testimony. Perhaps the most powerful thing she said was in turning to Jesus, she wasn't turning to heterosexuality, she was turning to a person. 
the idea that anything else other than Jesus could make her a whole person is just silly. And what's true for her is true for you, it's true for me, it's true for all of us. We've chosen the created thing over the creator and it's messed us up on the inside. The foolish thing would be to look inside to trust ourselves on these issues. The wise thing to do would be to look to God and surrender to what he says about us, about you, about me. Turn to Jesus. What's interesting is that part of the story that we didn't have time to get to is that she didn't suddenly have attraction to men. In fact, she decided she was gonna live by herself and, and then she met a guy by chance. And she said that God gave her an attraction to that man, one man, and that man became her husband. Here's a recent picture of Jackie and her husband. They now have three children. They also have another child since this photo. They got busy really quick. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that, but. And God's totally changed her life. And now she's an author and a speaker and she's making a huge difference in the world today. My hope for you is that we all, all turn to Jesus. We all need grace on the inside. What will you do? You know, as we wrap up today, it occurred to me that in Romans chapter one, there's this long list of sins and there's a lot of them that I'm guilty of. And I know that's true of you as well. In 1 Corinthians 6, there's a, a long list of sins. And many of those sins on that list, I'm guilty of. And so in, in closing today, I, I wanna invite all of us to turn to Jesus. Some of us for the very first time. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he came for people that are sinners. And that's something. Like he was made for sinners. A lot of people think that when they sin, they should run from God. When in fact, Jesus is designed to solve our sin, to conquer our sin. Like he came for us, like we're a match for him because we have blown it. Isn't that crazy to think about it that way? It's like, because we're sinners, he is, is who we need. He is the savior. See, 2000 years ago, he died on a cross to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin so that we can be in fellowship with God. His death on the cross removed the penalty, the shame, the guilt of all of our sin. And he says to you and me, trust me, I was made for you. You were made for me. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, the apostle Paul says this, the body is not made for sexual immorality. It feels that way. It feels so good, the pleasure of it. It feels so right, but it's a lie. The body's not made for sexual immorality but rather for the Lord, and the Lord is made for the body. Do you know why you were put on this planet? For Jesus, for the Lord. Your body was made by him and for him. How do we know that? I don't know if you know this or not, but in heaven, there's no sex. Did you know that? I know you guys are looking at me like, what should we do? What should we say? He's talking about weird stuff right now. Like, think, 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 think. Like in heaven, there's no sex. There's no marriage. Why? Jesus is there. We're made by God for God. Our body was made for him. He was made for us. 
we'll be totally and completely satisfied in Christ. Wow, what a life-changing truth. It puts sexuality in its place, doesn't it? It's a small, it's a very small thing in our lives. Let's not make it a big thing. Let's follow what he says. So if you wanna turn to Jesus today, if you wanna ask him to forgive you of your sins, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own, trust him today. Let him be your savior. Say this to him, dear Jesus, I turn to you today. I don't turn away from homosexuality or any other sin. I mean, I do, but I turn to you. You are who I need. You are who I was made for. You died for my sin. I ask you to wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. Enter into me by the power of your spirit today. Change my life. Be my savior today. From this day forward, help me to honor you and love you and trust you and obey you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? Come on, nice and loud, amen. Woo. If you just trusted Christ today, we would love to get you started on your new journey. We put a little box together called our save box. Uh, inside this box, there is a Bible with a reading plan inside of it to get you started. There's some information about small groups and baptism and some other stuff, uh, as well as a coffee mug to say congratulations. So if you would text the word SAVE to 65248 at your location, you can grab one of these at the information desk. Or if you're watching online, you can just type in a little bit more information and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna dismiss us to our local teams. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that in the midst of this crazy world we live in, where everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, making their own choices, God, we know we have your word and we look to it. We have clarity because you are our authority. Help us to submit to your authority. Help us to follow what you have to say about our lives, our relationships, our sexuality, the choices that we make. I know that's the path that we need to go down as a church and as individuals. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Right now, I'm gonna dismiss to the local teams. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.